No, it's just like when I had a, a box of cupcakes that were for, for me for my birthday that our mom dropped off. And oh, yeah, then but I, hey, but I walked away for yeah. 30 seconds and came back and some guy's walking off with two of them. <laughs> <laughs> God, damn, this community kitchen. <laughs> this community kitchen is great. There's just cupcakes and mugs. <laughs> Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 279 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm a spooky ghost. I'm Sam, and when I bite apples, they explode with juice. Gross. This is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Crock-Pot Clover Stew 20 Blundy. Mm. This is Crock-Pot season, so nice. It sure is. Uh, Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be swears. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thanks. Thanks for helping us keep our mic tubes full of mic juice. Let's talk about Inktober. Mm, Sam, you're doing that. Welcome to October, everyone. Somehow we're here. Somehow we're here. And I think, aside from the fact that, as we've talked about historically, October is when things happen. This month... Things are not happening so much for the studio. I mean, things are happening in the world, but not in the studio, which is You know, I was thinking nice. about this because we always talk about October as like this local minima, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the black hole where all postponed things end up, right? This October is going to be great because nothing got postponed this year. Everything just got canceled. <laughs> That's true. So nothing we've had, we've, we've had a very even year where nothing has happened. Nothing's been postponed. In October, this is going to be – we're going to cruise right through it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No no, no bumps, no bruises. I was saying October first- just has like a – oh, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. God, the internet. <laughs> we have just enough lag. <laughs> just enough. Uh, October, I think, is – October is my favorite month thematically and also clim- climatically – not climactically, clim- climate. Climat. You know, climat, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, because it's – so at least, at least for us Northern Hemisphere people, it's like – Right in the part of fall where like it actually is fall for realsies, right? There's no more trick fall. Like you don't know if it's fall or not. It's like truly fall, no matter no matter where you are in the northern hemisphere. Like we got it. It's fall now. It's fall. It's fucking spooky, but like the good kind of spooky. You know, the whole the whole month, it's spooky time. Like there's candy everywhere. Like everything about spooky candy. Spooky like, candy. Like everything like October <laughs> thematically is fucking stellar. And it's been so aggravating that for the past years, it always is also when like the studio fell into a black hole, right? So yeah, I'm actually very excited about this October. We get to just enjoy, enjoy the tobes. Yeah, one of the things that Sam's That's, doing uh, what is the Inktober. Kids are called October. <laughs> yeah, so there's, of course, there's always these. Uh, there's a bunch of fun, like month long things that that happen uh, at various points in the year. So we talked about NaNoWriMo before. I'm pretty sure which is November. In years past, which is November. That's where you write a novel in a month, or I guess. A novel-shaped object uh, over the course of a month, and then yeah, that's accurate. Uh, and then Inktober is sort of like the same kind of thing as that, but in the month of October, where you uh, every day there's a little prompt, and then you draw a picture in ink, or really, who gives a shit? Because it's really just about drawing stuff. So, or you just tattoo yourself. Every you know, day. if you want to do that, you're going to make bead art. Whatever, who cares? The whole point is just make some stuff uh, based on the prompt. So. Uh, this is the first year I'm going to try to actually do the all 30 days of it, uh, largely because I've already done – I did like 10 days in a row last month for just a different thing randomly. Um, and so I was like, I'm pretty sure I could do this now. Uh, so I'm on day two, going strong. You know, those early days, so easy. You're just like, yeah, let's go. I got I got all the energies. I'm excited. It's fresh. Uh, it's really days – day 15 is usually where now you're just in the shit because you're not done yet. You're still very far away from being done, uh, and you know there's it's not. Just like the a, it's like a Kickstarter campaign, right? Like at it the really beginning, is. people are fucking throwing money at it. They're so excited! Oh my yep. god! Oh god! Yes. In the middle, you don't even know if this thing's going to succeed because mm-hmm. nobody gives a shit. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's giving you money. Nobody's in the comments. Like nothing is happening. And then the last three days again, everyone's like, oh, God, oh, yes. Oh, it's ending. Oh, yeah. It's ending. We're going to go back and get back on it. So I'll be doing it this year uh, and posting the pictures both uh, – I've been posting just sort of internally for our, our studio stuff and then also my my Instagram, the bscotch underscore same Instagram, which I did, by the way, get like a billion new followers. Uh, I got like a 10% follower boost 
after ten percent of what? And that's, it was well, it's a small number to begin with. Of ten, <laughs> <laughs> he got a he got a follower. He got a new follower. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll be I'll be posting little uh, basically the, the final shots from the day as well as uh, if I manage if I have time to do the shading and coloring stuff then then those process shots too. So it's just kind of a fun little fun little yeah. Uh, so go thinking. go follow Sam on Instagram. I, I also have an Instagram that I post. I've posted three pictures to. I think maybe even four sure. by now. What's your Instagram? I mean, people they they know they will get uh, they will get their feed clogged up by you which is kind of nice no, that is so. certainly true at Actually, all i think it's just i think it, it will not yeah, i think i'm just add adam coster i think i try to use that everywhere so i'm pretty sure that's what mm-hmm. it is but uh, either that or that's because there's a football player also named adam coster so it's possible that that's that's who got the twitter handle mm. oh you know, uh-huh. wait, what kind of football are we talking are we talking football or shoulder ball which is american no, sorry soccer I'm, for some for some reason why, as an American, why did I call it football first instead of soccer? There's something. I don't know. My exposure to sports is like in such a weird <laughs> state that somehow that is the unexpected default. But anyway, as a, I posted a picture of uh, what if I posted of a of a, of a hilariously sort of macabre uh, uh, warning label on a on a blind about strangling children. That was my first uh. post. <laughs> oh, it's a good one. Those, it's one of my. It's one of my four posts. Those hazard that was signs. A, oh my god, I love them. Oh, it yeah. was a hazard sign so absurd where you you were like, "This is it. I this have is the thing. This, this, this is, is the thing I have to make uh, an Instagram account for." <laughs> yeah, it was fucking hilarious. The, the yeah. world has to see this. Yeah, it was, it was just so dark because like because I've seen those warnings before where it's like a oh, strangulation warning or whatever, but it's just they made a little tiny pictogram of a small human just being hung from a, <laughs> just just <laughs> hanging, just hanging. It was wild. So that was like, yeah, that was my moment where I was like, this is the only picture I need. It was the only picture I had for, I think, six months. I will say that was probably one of the few times an industrial, like, uh, you know, design artist was like, awesome prompt. You know? Most this is how I get to ex- <laughs> Yeah. I need technical art for this stool and how to put it together. And they're like, I need you to draw a baby being strangled by cords, uh-huh. but not with enough detail to freak anyone out. Like, no, right, but it's cool. still just enough to freak people out so that they really understand that this is a scary thing. I love it. That's great. Yeah, that's hilarious. Is that a is that a career like just being the person who draws Hazard horrible labels. things happening to stick people? I mean, somebody uh, must do it. I somebody's got to do it. Yeah, I do wonder that sometimes because I think I think every so often if you just sort of take a survey, if you just look around, everything that you got was made by a person or a group. Of yeah, people. there's a, there's a job for that. Yeah, and a lot of times, especially like big big, we talked about this in games industry and big vertical organizations. Um, there's oftentimes a person whose job is like to make uh, the shadows for characters in games, for example. So there's got to be a person. There's got to be who, whose job in some of these companies is to make these just hideously specific warning labels for every product. Or just a, yeah. or a third party studio, because it's also the kind of thing that that, uh, that there's just like a company somewhere whose thing <laughs> they, they are the company. <laughs> Who other companies go to when they, they don't want to hire a person to draw children being strangled because uh-huh. they don't have enough things where children get strangled to need that many pictures, right? Yeah, you just so, need one sticker for this one product, you know? Yeah, you just need the one thing. So you go contract as the company, you pay them like an absurd amount of money. They probably spent like a thousand dollars to get that little that little sticker designed, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, I was, I was, yeah I was, so a, there was an so episode I, of some show where they were talking about trying to track down a piece of music that they heard in a grocery store. And like and the nested layers of companies that were contracted to cause that music <laughs> to exist and be played was was amazing because in the in the end there's like there was one company whose job is to supply music to like every grocery store in the in the fucking nation right wild well it's a tough job because the music has to be background music that everybody likes and hates equally yep. and also infringes on no copyright yeah that's true at, at all right. It's a fine it's a fine line to walk and almost nobody in the world can can pull it off. Uh all right, so anyways, Inktober. Sounds awesome. Do it. Uh let's talk about studio news. So we are now we we really started working on on Crashlands 2 probably like at the end of the first week of September. So we're we're kind of like three full-time weeks in, I would say, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and uh it's been really interesting. Because we've learned so much uh, over the course of developing Levelhead and the time sort of between Crashlands and Levelhead with our working on lots of different projects, with our DevOps stuff, um, all these lessons that we've we've pulled together. And uh, Crashlands 2 development is looking completely different than anything we've done in the past. Yeah. 
And uh, I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like and and why. And and I think the the big thing that's jumping out at me about this is the way we used to make games is we would start by just packing in content. So uh, in the case of original Crashlands, we would just start adding stuff to the game. So we need sticks, rocks, trees, you know, just like just get all that stuff in there. And uh, over time, we would end up sort of like developing the game systems off of that well, we sort of yeah we sort of did design based on what we had already put in the game correct yeah, yeah. instead of the yeah. other way around yeah so this time around um, while we were doing our tech debt burn down rodeo circus for a couple months uh, Sam was forging ahead on coming up with the vision for what Crashlands Two was going to be so that's all the different game systems we want to we want to experiment with um, and actually it, it wasn't really super content focused. Mm-mm. It was more just, how are things going to work? Um, how's the equipment going to work? How's combat going to work? How's navigating the world going to work? All that stuff. Um, so it was really just, it gave us time to mentally iterate on the game systems. And now as we're starting uh, actually creating stuff, we are still ju- just only focusing on the systems. Um, and the content, we're only putting enough content in for us to answer questions about those systems and no more content than that, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not putting in what we would consider fully finished production art assets. We're not stressing about uh, getting like the audio perfect or anything like that. It's basically just saying, uh, answer two questions. One is, how do these systems work? How do they work with each other? And then the other question is, how do we set ourselves up so that it's super, super easy for us to add stuff to this game? Yeah. Right. So one of the things we learned when we were working on Levelhead is like Levelhead is a game about about a level editor. So we had a level editor from day one in Levelhead, and it made it unbelievably easy to add stuff to the game and test things because somebody would be like, hey, uh, I had this thing happen. And they would send us a screenshot of some weird thing happening, and we can recreate it in seconds. Or we, we could just, just download the level that they found it on because it was yeah. A, download was the a, level, yeah. uh, but but uh, the long and short of it was you know having some way to sort of handcraft scenarios uh, means that you can you can build and test stuff super fast, and just and, by comparison, yeah, I was going to say in contrast with original Crashland, yeah, and old Crashlands. If we said like, oh yeah, there's a problem with Gallums, this creature in the tundra. Okay, how are we going to test that? How are you going to test a Gallum? Well. Well, you got to open up a new save. You know, get, you got to get through that first opening cutscene because that cutscene is it's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, then you got to use your developer hotkeys to give yourself all the best gear and teleport to the last biome, and then start running arbitrarily in any given direction until you find a gallum, and then remember to save so that you're you're, you're there. You know, you've got a save file near gallums. Um, Contrasting that with what we're working on with Crashlands 2, which is if there's a creature you want to see or a resource you want to see, you just you'll open up a world editor and just put it there and hit play, just like you would in uh, you know like the level editor, the level head, and you're just standing next to it now, and you can you can see it, you can interact with it, and and uh, work on it. So so we're doing all this kind of stuff um, on the game side, and then we're also doing a really heavy investment in tooling first. Um, so Adam, I don't know if you have anything you would talk about with our tooling approach, uh, with well, yeah, it's, it's mostly that it's just tooling first, I guess. And so, so previously with, with crash lands, as Sam and Seth started to make stuff, then maybe like six months in, I'd be like, okay, show me your process so we can figure out how to like, how to smooth this out. And then I would set off and spend two to three months building a tool, right. To, to fix that. And then, and then once that tool was done after those two or three months, then now Sam and Seth could start using it, right? Uh, and and the idea was figure out what you're doing first completely, make a complete, fleshed out, user friendly, you know, ish, right? User friendly, designed to be user friendly tool. So if, if we kind of think about the uh, the Crashlands Creator, which we've talked about in the past, that was a full website with a database backend, with a, a whole like system of uploading, direct, you know, from content from the game, so that everything was in there available to be used to create. Uh, all the stuff that went into Crashlands for for uh, locations and characters and, and all the dialogue and stuff, um, and instead of starting with like let's use some external text files that get that same job done and get that and then let's get that done early so we can actually start putting story into the game. 
we, what it was like six months before launch or something. We were like, okay, time to start adding story. First, go build a tool. Three months later, the tool was done, right? Yep. yep. So now we actually start adding story. So, so the whole thing was, uh, was, it was just not, it was not tools forward development, right? It also wasn't small well, and, and be- because, and yeah. yeah. And because we didn't have any concept of having quests and story and all the other stuff from the beginning, um, the, what the, what we ended up being able to do with the tool as well as with the game mechanics was severely limited because we had a year and a half of development of finished assets and finished systems um, yeah, that did not already there. Yeah. That we had to build all this, all the questing stuff on top of. Yeah, and so, so instead of you know, having a shallow thing where you have all the components that are all gently intermixed because none of them have any depth where you then mm-hmm. figure out how things are going to work there. We built the whole fucking thing and then added an entirely new system on top. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was very hard. But I, but I think also that that emphasis on having everything be sort of done, you know, in a sense, before you move on to the next step, was a lot of what we did with Crashlands, including the tooling and the support systems, where it's like get it done and then figure out how do we get it onto mobile, right? Or Crashlands was different because we had it on mobile at the very beginning. But but that idea of like let's figure this whole thing out first, and we have these questions that we know we have to address, but let's just deal with those you know, in six months or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this time we're trying to have all the answers before we really start development. And we're working on the tools before we really start production. And we're not going to actually do real production until all the tools exist, but we're also going to be iterating on the tools instead of just being like, here's how now. this works now. Yeah. Here's how the tool has to work. Let's make it, make it in one go, however long it takes. Yes. My favorite example of this, is, you know, we are only uh, three weeks in as far as the, like basically the programming and more of the hard, uh, we're developing basically art assets uh, for the game. And one of the nice yeah. things about 2D is actually that uh, your concept art is essentially your art at the end of the day. Like they're, they can be the same thing, uh, which is really nice. Uh, not, not the case at all when you're in 3D. But uh, some of the assets that we have are, are more or less approaching what, we, what you would call production-ready or a finished state. Um, but interestingly, the pipeline that they're going through to be hooked into the game uh, is that thing is going through a number of iterations as we figure out both how Clip Studio Paint works, that's the tool we're using now instead of Inkscape, um, to handle batch exporting and file management on my side, and then how that can integrate then with how, how Seth operates. And so even though something like maybe this rock, we're like, okay, yeah, this rock's good. Like we think this rock's basically done. The, the infrastructural support of it is still being iterated on uh, in a way that I'm still making changes to that file, even though the rock's been you know, done for maybe a week or something like that, uh, I'll be still making changes to how it's basically hooked into the game at the end of the day. Well, actually, that's an important distinction too, right? Because for really the entirety of Crashlands development, I would say that Sam wasn't thinking of himself as like part of a pipeline, right? So he, Correct. Like Sam, you were using pipeline tools eventually with the Inkbot and all that stuff. Um, but you didn't see yourself as like, as a, as a person maintaining and developing the pipeline. You were mm-hmm. a person using the pipeline, right? Uh, we didn't versus, really have one in the case. Uh, we didn't, of yeah, we didn't. <laughs> that <laughs> was just a manual it's export. A, it's a loosey goosey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so it's a very manual process, and, and like, and that was just acceptable at the time too. Which is no, mm-hmm. like, nobody now considers it acceptable in the studio, right? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing it that way for these first few weeks as as we are exploring and figuring out the the new pipeline. Mm-hmm. So it's all back to manual, and oh my god, I cannot believe that yeah. this is how we built. Yeah, Crashlands. The first year of Crashlands, or six months, or something like that. The whole thing. The whole we didn't. Thing. We didn't have. We, we didn't, didn't have, have the Inkbot until the Inkbot uh, came after, after Crashlands. Yeah. Yeah. That shit. Inkbot came in like September 2017. I manually exported <laughs> like 2,000 fucking assets for Crashlands, <laughs> and I manually imported them. And also, anytime we changed them, they had to be manually re-imported yeah. um, and re-exported. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that sucks. Uh, but yeah. yeah, but I think I think importantly. Um, <laughs> So part of part of my role in the suit at the very beginning was was sort of advocating for creating tools to do everything right, and uh, and I think the way that our that that role sort of developed was like okay so somebody in the team has a problem so let's have Adam go solve that problem right and then mm-hmm. like that's that's the relationship I make a tool people use it is like to whatever extent that they that they want and that's that's the whole relationship. But with uh, with Crashlands too, um, it's already the case that like that Sam actually before I've even thought about the pipeline for the art stuff, Sam has been trying to figure it out himself to figure out like how does this work, how do how, what tools do I want to use? Like you say, Sam, you spent like yeah, four or six weeks or something like trying mm-hmm. out different tools and like trying to learn them really well, try, yep. experimenting with batch export, trying to find scripting, like doing all that stuff so that 
by the time we were ready to start actually building real tooling, you already knew what you wanted to do and like how the systems worked and what the options were that were available. And, and that's still true. It's like, so yesterday we had a, a discussion about the potential pipeline for our assets and like Sam would come up with this like clever way of, of using animations inside of, was it Clipsio Paint something, mm-hmm. whatever. So Clipsio Paint is the new t- art tool that we're using instead of Inkscape like we did in the past. But he's using animations as a way to generate uh, sub-images, sub-images for a sprite, even though those don't necessarily mean that it's animated in like Correct. the – right? Because it could be like variants of a rock or whatever. Yep. And, and so basically he discovered that if he treated things as animations, that he could use the batch export system to, to basically take an animation and then use that as a sprite within its yeah. image and so on, right? But so also, same for that sprite that you can split apart, which is, so this yes. has always been the problem. So if you want to, in the case of a uh, very easy example, is actually the original flux from the original Crashlands is those couple of different pieces, right? You've got the head, the body, arms, and legs. So uh, in the case of that, there, the only way to export those would be to have them all in Inkscape as separate things with their own bounding boxes wrapped around them uh, and export them that way. So what we're able to do with this weird uh, fact of, of Clip Studio Paint, which is that you can export every, not just every frame of an animation, but the actual layers associated with that frame. So in the case of Flux, it'd be like, if you were able to take that whole body, uh, if you exported the whole thing at once, that would be the whole frame. But when you're able to uh, export each cell, then you can export the head, the arm, the leg, the, basically all of those pieces individually, which is something we could never... Just yeah, with a single button. With a single button, but also be able to yeah. see it as a whole fucking thing while you're working on it. Which right. is like absolutely amazing. Which so, is great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, Sam so, figured so I, all that out. And it was basically because he knew from the outset, he was like, I need tooling to be able to build the, yeah. the sheer number of assets we want to have in Crashlands 2. It's going to require really good tooling. And that, and now, now basically him now as actually previously just a consumer of the tooling, moving into basically actually a designer of the tooling, I think to me is the most fundamental. And, and Seth has actually been doing the same thing. So to me, this is the most fundamental change in how we as a team are approaching. Crash and suit development. Um, aside from all the design stuff we've already talked about and how we've changed to think about that, but for the tooling side, basically, like everyone's like, yes, tooling. We need as many tools as possible. Let's yep. all collaborate and figure out how these tools would work instead of just thinking, like, someone needs to make a tool, but I'm going I'm to get to work well and then let that person deal with that. Right? Yeah. And I, I think what's, what's interesting about this is what development's going to look like in the long term is we know that this is going to be a, a multi year project, right? Like minimum two years. Um, what used to be the case is we would be like, we just got to start building the game. You know, we need a fully playable game that's ready to show in the first, uh, couple weeks, two weeks, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we just, and we just keep adding content to that game. And what, what you end up with then is in a situation like with level head, we didn't have an undo function or multi-select in the editor until, 18 months after development started. But like the editor is the whole, that's the whole game, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. like we're missing these core crucial parts because we were so focused on adding content, adding new enemies and items and things to interact with that we didn't actually develop the the core like functional mechanics of the game. So what's going to end up happening with Crash Ends 2 is, is we're not prioritizing the marketing or being able to show the game for these first, even probably like six months. Mm-hmm. What we're doing in this, in this first, this first half a year is just setting ourselves up to go ludicrously fast uh, when it comes time to actually add the content. Yeah, and build we'll the have all the systems built and have the tooling built for all those systems. And yeah. So I think probably, probably a good analogy. A good analogy is like, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want to go from point A to B, you know, you can just start pedaling on a bicycle, but like you're going to be just pedaling the whole time because you're on a bicycle and it just takes manual work to get there. Right. But if you spent the first like, you know, three months building a, a jet, then you're going to, you're going to end up way farther, way faster at the end. But at, at the beginning, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's that's kind of the the difference in approach that we're trying to take. Yeah, and I mean it's, uh, it's very, very evidence because of one of the biggest problems we've ever had in the past is environment art. And the reason is is because when you're making environment art, so tiles for a game, or whatever else, uh, it's it's the whole damn screen. It's all it's the whole screen. And the problem is when you're trying to recreate that in an art program, uh, every single art program just like has a hard time dealing with the fact that what you're trying to do is mash together 
oftentimes, you know, 15 different kinds of images to create sort of this composite that is supposed to be a, you know, relatively basically the screen. And so the, the only way to really be able to uh, test something like environment art is to be able to be able to put it in the game rapidly and then put it down, check it next to stuff, see what's looking, what, what it's looking like. And so already uh, Seth got the world editor up and running in like a day. And by, by the world editor, I mean, literally just puts tiles down. That's it. But we have tools. Well, we have not, paint bucket. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It puts tiles down, but it has, you can select any of the tiles that exist in the game. We got the paint bucket. We've got undo. We've got delete. The eyedrops, right? all the so, stuff, right? So yeah. uh, that allowed me then to, uh, in the place where I was previously stymied quite a bit because I'd, I had built inside of Clip Studio Paint this insane like file reference object that had that basically was pulling live from all of those tile files and mashing. It was together. pretty impressive. I have. To say. Well, it's one of those things where it's like it's clever, but we shouldn't have to be so damn clever, right? And yeah. so yeah. Uh, with that tool, then uh, which Seth finished, I think on Tuesday. Then I was able to, in the span of a day, uh, redo all of the environment art and improve all of it a lot uh, because I could just pop it in, check it out, pop it in, check it out. And there's just this really, really fast iteration loop. Again, with that batch, batch export as well because I'm able to export 40 things in a quarter of a second as opposed to manually by hand. Mm-hmm. So, And that's yes. not even with the full tooling yet. Also, automating yes. the import side, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. And I think, that, again, that's, that's that, that key difference, right, is, is that – we're we're building we're already building simple tools because it's no longer like we have to so so even you know Seth said we have the world editor but all it does is put tiles down doesn't fucking matter that's the world editor right that's we're in that first part of the tooling mm-hmm. state where we didn't Seth didn't say okay I'm gonna go spend three months making the entirety of the world editor so I can add items in customize their properties put yep. build NPCs <laughs> give them dialogue like, no no that's all gonna come in pieces later but. But the, the point is that we needed to be able to lay tiles down. So we made a tool to be able to do that effectively yep. in a fast way that allows for rapid iteration. And we're going to continue doing that for each new aspect of the game where it's not just also about the iteration on the design and the development part. It's also on the, on the, the rapid iteration for QA testing, right? So that if we put something in the game now, we want our QA testers to be able to already experiment with it and try to do things with it. And that requires them to be able to control how it appears and make and make it appear, make it do stuff, right? Yep. And so yep. by designing everything with tooling up front to do all of that stuff, we get we'll get to have the most thorough fucking testing imaginable <laughs> on this on this game. Yeah. Um, unlike where Crashlands, we were talking about in the past, because in Crashlands, as Seth was saying earlier, you had to, you had to basically play through the whole game. So Just if you were, see a single yeah, if you were a developer, it was really hard because, like, because our 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 ability to like skip parts was was very clunky, right? Mm-hmm. But if you were a player, like in our, our first uh, our beta right before launch, um, everybody just had to play the whole game, right? Yeah, and I think something like what was the, it was like it was like five or ten percent of people actually even got to the end game content mm-hmm. in yep. our test, right? And there were I think was it like a thousand people that, or two hundred people? What did we do? I can't remember. It's been a long it was time. Like one hundred fifty. It was one hundred seventy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so then only like a dozen people actually saw the end game content because the only way to see it, we couldn't like we didn't have QA tools. We're like, oh yeah, we'll just give you like we'll give you this access, you know, as testers, so you can actually tell us what's going on downstream. No, they just had to get there or not, and that was the only way we could test it. That so, was it. Yep. Yeah. So this is uh, I'm very excited. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like we've we've moved from like the the toddler phase of being game developers to the angsty emo teen phase. Yeah. That's where I feel like we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, I'm very excited about yeah. it. But also, also we're going to try to, to open source some of our tooling this time around as well. So uh, for anybody, it's the only matter if you make games in game maker uh, for, and, and specifically if, game maker 2.3. Um, yeah. Because game maker changed in the 2.3 update, which was last month or no, August, I guess. Uh, yeah. They change literally everything about how their file structures work and so on. So, so it's only a moving forward kind of a deal. But, but for anyone out there who's into tooling, we're going to start putting out some stuff that'll hopefully make everyone's lives easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So, one little piece of industry news before we get on to questions, which this is, I think, just kind of an interesting note, is uh, the World of Warcraft expansion uh, that that has been in the works for two, two years now. Um, has been delayed, and this is the first WoW expansion that's been delayed since 2006. This is uh, the eighth, the eighth expansion they've made. They delayed the first one because it was the first one they ever did, um, and they didn't quite know how to deliver it. 
Uh, but yeah, this is, so this is kind of a big deal. Um, and it's been really interesting to watch. So I, I'm not going to get into all like the, uh, the nitty gritty about sort of how this thing works because it's, it's just a lot of like complicated game systems and stuff. But the long and short of it is that, that, uh, Blizzard opened this thing up for, for beta back in, I think May, April, May. Oh, wow. And it's been beta for a long time. Yeah, which is actually far shorter than they typically do a beta for an expansion. Usually they do a, they they actually have beta running for, you know, 10 to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um so when when players came in it was like there were just a lot of broken things. Like stuff that historically has been working totally fine just no longer worked. Mm-hmm. Um characters would have entire abilities that you'd like hit the button and nothing happens. Oh, yeah, um, speaking of QA, testing something like uh, uh, oh my gosh. An MMO it's, that's been being developed for what fifteen years or some? Ungodly? It's been out for sixteen years, it's but it started development. Years, right? It started so, development, I think, in two thousand one. Yeah, so like the, it's the almost sheer twenty years. Complexity <laughs> of all the shit in that Oof. game. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six uh, months is not a long enough. Key it's absurd. It's absurd. Um, but what ended up happening is is there there was players giving lots of feedback about all these new ideas of things that were coming into the game. And it was generally negative. Like a lot of the new game systems, people were just like, I don't like this. This is like really hard to figure out Mm. and I can't tell what to do. And also it's broken. And even if it wasn't broken, I'm not quite sure whether it would be good, you know? Um, And even stuff that players have kind of taken for granted in in the past as just like, this is how things work. Um, Like maybe, maybe let's say, Adam, you choose to be a damage dealer and Sam, you choose to be a damage dealer, but you pick two different classes, right? So maybe Adam, you're a rogue and Sam, you're a hunter or something. You'd expect like, well, I mean, we're both doing the same job and and our classes should be able to kind of do it somewhat equivalently, right? Like there shouldn't be a dramatic difference in how effective uh, uh, you are. But there is in the, in this beta. Some classes are doing less than half the damage of, of others. Hmm. Um, so st- stuff that's like sh- just really shouldn't be a problem is 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 a is a weird huge problem. And even stranger is there have been entire zones um, that are essentially empty, and they were empty at the start of the beta back in May, and they're still empty. There's just <laughs> there's just nothing to really do there. Hmm. Um, so so there's been these huge swatches of the game that were supposed to be being developed throughout this time and have just been completely untouched. Hmm. Um, and so they, and the, the weird part about this is just the, the communication that's yes, been say, coming say, to the community. Is it COVID related? Is it just like, well, there's been essentially radio silence about every single one of these things since May. Um, there's been almost no communication from, from uh, the developers or anybody else about what's going on with all this stuff. So the only communication people really had was the announcement of a release date, which was just a couple weeks ago. They said, hey, it's coming out October 26th. And all the beta testers they were like- They literally just announced it two weeks ago? They announced it two weeks ago, yeah. And all the beta testers were like, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> because it was, it's clearly- it's clearly only half developed. Like it's just not, it's just not even close to done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so everybody was kind of in a panic because it was looking like they were just going to rush out this horribly broken mess. Um, And then uh, as of yesterday, they announced, actually, no, that's not the release date. We, now we don't know when the release date is, but they still said 2020. They said, they said later this year. But yeah, the fact we're, we're that, the in fact later this year. Yeah. yeah so Here's the like, thing. I'm actually I'm based on what I've seen from from how things are going uh in this in this beta, I I'm kinda dubious. Uh I don't I don't think it's gonna come out this year because it shouldn't. Like it just yeah, you can't uh, based on the state of it. pressure from uh from up top to get something out by the end of the fiscal year. It's it's got to it be well, and and it's also the case that uh, they they typically release expansions around this time, like basically fall. They try to get out before Thanksgiving, before the holiday, um, after the summer slump. You know, there's kind of like a August September is like a prime time to release a one of these one of these uh, expansions. But yeah, I think it's it's kind of interesting to watch and try to figure out like because this is a giant game studio that has a huge number of different people involved and different departments and even different business units, right? Cause mm-hmm. act, cause, cause Blizzard is a, is a subsidiary of Activision Blizzard, which was the parent company made when Activision and Blizzard came together. Um, and so seeing these kind of sort of like 
total total radio silence from developers to the community, uh, announcement of release dates that are com- that are completely unrealistic, and anybody with with even one eye could see mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, that this is a that this is a problem. Um, but uh, and then backtracking on those things, and uh, yeah, it's and they did they did say something about that uh, that development has slowed a lot because of everybody shifting to working from home. And but it was it's that, still very that strange also happened that happened six months ago. That happened a long time ago, right? So the idea that they would announce a release date that was very close, it was and probably then just even closer. Schedule. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is the thing is, like, yeah. I think that the, the thing I always find heartening, frankly, about these stories is the fact that that even studios like like the Vaulted Blizzard, uh, who have a game that that has been out for a long time, who has an active beta testing pool uh, for six months or whatever else. Um, even they it's have hard. a hard time just handling it's all It's fucking this hard. <laughs> They've been doing it forever, yeah. right? Uh, well, so I guess as, yeah. as much as we know, too, about how lining up the marketing and announcement efforts and oh stuff for a game, uh, as much of – because for, for us to do that for Levelhead, Sam and, and Sampada had put together like very elaborate – spreadsheets and plans and timelines for how that's going to work where, where different events would trigger other events and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they had to check on it every day and make sure they push all the right buttons, you know, and all of this stuff. I imagine that when you're at the scale of, of, you know, Activision Blizzard, that there's someone whose job it is, right, to have like, to have created that roadmap of when things are supposed to happen. There may or may not be somebody else who like reviews that thing. There may be a different person who pulls the trigger on stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's also quite possible that, that that as I think Sam said, like that they may have just already actually had a date and there may have been an announcement trigger. Right. Yep. And there just wasn't enough checks and balances going on to, to make sure that that trigger didn't get pulled before something else got checked, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's quite possible it was something as dumb as that, or it's just like, there was a spreadsheet somewhere. Someone woke up one day. and was like, Oh shit. You have to do it's this. Time. This is on my to-do list. It's time to do this. Right. So they just, they just did it. That's their job. And then, uh, all of a sudden other people were like, what? Wait a second. <laughs> like, what is, we just, mm-hmm. we just discovered, uh, that we are launching this game in a month. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then and we out, shouldn't be, and we yeah. should not be. And then that has to go to the top. Yeah. And then like, and then it probably took two weeks to figure out what do we do about this announcement that we made that cannot possibly happen yep. to yep. make sure we don't sink our stock price and, and raise our players and the whole, you know, yeah. It would be a nightmare. Well, that's, I mean, that's the, that's the, the, the deal with these large companies is, is people, we talk about them like they're a thing. But a, a company of that scale is thousands of people, mm-hmm. you know, trying to talk to each other, trying to coordinate things and plan things. Um, and everything has different to go through incentives. legal hoops. And especially once you're, a, once you're a publicly traded company or a private company with a lot of uh, shareholders, right? Either way, you don't get to just do things anymore, you know? You don't mm-hmm. get to just say, oh, shit, we made an – we made an – we accidentally – basically made an announcement date, right? Uh, you don't get to just decide what to do about that. You know, you got to bring in everybody. You got to talk to your legal team. You got to figure out what's going to happen when we backtrack this. Uh, do we need to spend advertising yeah. dollars? It's just part of the process. Like, there's it's a nuts. whole system now that you have to work through. Well, and you know, this idea of like, oh, well, they've been completely silent in their communication with the community, right? And it's like, well, there's a big question of authorization. Yeah, who's, who's allowed? allowed <laughs> who's allowed to say what to who? You know, because um, there's NDAs. Like at every single level. For yeah, every, we have these two, right? Thing. So like, I, I don't know, anybody hanging out on our Discord, uh, you'll see we have a Crashlands 2 Wild Speculation channel, right? And uh, and one of our internal QA, um, Carl, is like in there all the time. And people are always asking questions about stuff. And he's always like, one, he doesn't know a lot of it because because uh, he's not part of we, – we we're not putting our Crashlands 2 stuff into our QA's hands yet. Uh, and, but then also he's under NDA. He can't talk about that stuff, right? Yep. And so even within, <laughs> even at our scale, we still have to play this game to an extent. It's not the same, right? But, but it already is the case. Like if, if, if pe- people could today say, oh, we're not very communicative about Crashlands 2 because we're not revealing pictures. We're not, we're not doing a whole bunch of stuff, right? And they would be right about that. So yeah, but even say like there's this uh, guy, Ian, Ian Hazacostas, who's the game director of World of Warcraft. Um, I don't even know if he gets to decide what he can say no, to I'm people. I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure that goes right? through legal Because first. Like he's, he's coming up with all the ideas of how the game's going to work. He's coordinating all the teams, um, approving designs and concepts and whatever. Like it comes, it kind of comes down to him what goes into the game and, and what doesn't. Um, but I don't know if he, if he even gets oh, yeah. to know no, I, what I he can say. It definitely doesn't. The first year that I, that, uh, that I went to DICE when Crackshins was nominated, um, the one of the speakers was uh, one of the one of the heads of Marvel, um, the storytelling division over there. 
fantastic, fantastic talk. And so afterwards I went up to talk to him and there's this woman dressed in all black sitting next to him. And uh, while he was busy oh. talking to someone else, I was just, I was like, oh, I'll just chat with her. So I started chat with her. And she was very, like, very, uh, very intense and very, like, clearly, like, was not trying to participate very much. And at some point I was like, what? okay, I was like, what's, what's going on? And she's like, I'm the, I'm his PR handler. So I'm also listening to the conversation to make sure he doesn't say anything he shouldn't be saying. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I, love that, I love that she was also dressed for the role. That's fantastic. Yeah. She, yeah like an assassin. Yeah. She yeah. felt like she could kill someone if they spoke out a lot. Like I was a like, oh, man. shadow. <laughs> it's great. Does she have a, like a big dagger. Well, yeah. even, I mean, <laughs> we even saw probably. that. Yeah, we even saw this when we we had uh, we talked about it a bit in the podcast in the past. We had hired a PR team uh, for the for, I don't know for like the, the middle six early months access. of mm-hmm. early access and stuff, um, and before early access. And the advice that we got constantly from them, um, which also it, it enrages at the same time, but also like I get it, was that was basically anytime we wanted to tell announce something or tell people about something or whatever, they'd be like, no, 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 hold on to it, right. Mm-hmm. Because you need to make everything a moment. And so you need to be able to try to make a splash with everything that happens. You can't just talk to people openly because then nothing is exciting, right? And and we've also seen this with uh, with Steam talking about how often people put out announcements or updates to games or whatever, mm-hmm. where they've actually shown with the data that if you put out announcements or updates too frequently, people stop caring, right? So there's like a whole thing in place where – you don't just get to go talk about what you're Correct. up to because it has to be the whole thing has to be part of a of a plan and of a system for making the launch of your game eventually successful because otherwise every one of those things that you just sort of flippantly say right is now a lost opportunity to maybe sell another you know thousand copies of your well, game because of something that happens. That's the conventional wisdom. Yeah, yeah, this is, this then, is how people but, behave. Yeah. yeah, but then you then you then you have the flip side of it where sometimes you'll have. Um, smaller independent developers where they'll be working on a game for like four years and their whole mantra is just talk completely openly about everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes they're able to use that approach to develop a, a, a very excited fan base around the game over that time of people who do just participate and talk with the developers and, and all that stuff. Um, it's definitely expensive, mm-hmm. right? Because – you're spending so much time talking to people instead of programming or making assets or whatever. But if you can't um, get people excited, because if you're not a big game studio, then having we, we learned we learn this with Levelhead, right? Like having news didn't do anything because yeah, if if you drop a big uh, a, a big news beat, we're like, here's a big reveal of one of the new power ups for this game that you don't know about and haven't heard of. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's not very, effective. it doesn't, doesn't land the same way. Yeah, so that's true. You know? It so, may be the case that, that depending on scale of studio, the kinds of IP you're working with, all that kind of stuff, that one model is better than the other, or that it, neither one is better. And then every yeah, belief we have about this is all bullshit. Who knows? But the point yeah. being that, <laughs> that there are established ways of doing things. Um, and it's all about holding on to your secrets. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and revealing them strategically. And so it all kind of makes sense that since no one is allowed to talk by default, and then there's somebody up at, up at the top making a plan and puppeting things, right? That if that person decides not to communicate certain things, then nobody else gets to yeah, either. Better not. Yeah. It's certainly yeah. not your job to communicate those things. Yeah, you know, you you're fired. not going to be, yeah, you're not going to understand how they play the role in that whole grand plan, right? Yeah. Well, that's how you get fired yeah. and sued for, for breach of NDA. Mm-hmm. And maybe even yep. for damages, depending on how intense your NDA is. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, could be. Well, I mean, they yeah, they gotta try to try to get get after you yep. to send a message to anybody yeah, else who wants to <laughs> break the NDA. Uh, all right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Zonka Baguta, who says, nice. "Who says way to get a mention on the Game Maker's Toolkit, even if he named the wrong brother." That did you happen. know? Did you know he was going to talk about Crashlands in the studio ahead of time? Uh, no, we did not. So the, the Game Makers Toolkit is a YouTube channel where they just uh, talk about making games. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal. It's, kind of, it's a phenomenal resource for the design side of things. I would say. Yeah, um, it's a great channel. Yeah. So I've I've watched I think probably most of his videos at this point. I think uh, his stuff, and then there's this other one called The Architect of Games. I think his name's Adam Mill- Miller or something like that, um, who puts out – it's a similar kind of content where it's saying like, what makes a good secret in a video game? And then it's like literally dude dives in for 20 minutes. And I'm like, thank you for doing this incredibly good design work 
so I could just you know take these little nuggets out of there. So uh, yeah, Mark Brown runs the Game Makers Toolkit channel, and it's grown a lot. So uh, he used to write for uh, actually Mobile Game Reviews, so Pocket Gamer um, back in the day. And so we actually met up with him at GDC back in 2015, I believe. Yeah, uh, showed him Crashlands in a hallway. Had a super just like chill conversation with the guy. Um, he's got a great accent. Uh, and then from there, um, went on to start this Game Makers Toolkit channel and it's just been like growing and it's been, it's big now. And they have the, they have the jam that they do actually around the same time we do a Shenanah Jam. So this year we actually pointed people over there uh, for the Game Makers Toolkit Jam. And yeah, we didn't know that this was going to happen. Uh, we've been in contact with him uh, since just a couple of times while we work on Levelhead. Uh, we've reached out to him and, and talked to him about that a little bit. Uh, but otherwise, just kind of been just kind of been enjoying someone else's success from afar, if that makes sense, since we got to cross paths when we were both in our early days. Um, and it's been really cool to see. I think, yeah, I think their, their jam is, I think the biggest jam on it is now. Yeah. By, by a significant margin. And I think, I think the YouTube channel is either the, or certainly up at the top of the biggest channels, like for the, for this particular thing of like deep diving into game development and from a design perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so it was, it was yeah, we so we were surprised was the is the other answer to that question to cuz we don't actually follow that like we every once in a while like we'll watch a thing there but it's usually cuz we're looking for something specific, right? right so we're not yeah. like subscribed and watching all the time. And so we just have people in our community come out and and then point to that part of the video and be like, "Hey, look at this, this is pretty neat, you know, that, that this guy that this guy talked about." Um so it's cool. It's yeah. always it's always great when somebody comes in and says, "Look, look at this, look at this example of people doing things in a in a a way that I approve of, at least in some way, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like when the C video came out last year about uh, Levelhead and was talking about how here's all the things that Levelhead does really well uh, in comparison to like the old Mario Maker and stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. very satisfying. Yeah. And it's one of the benefits of giving GDC talks, uh, making content like that is you never know how it's going to kind of boomerang back around. Yeah. So uh, our next question comes from FGKG, who says, on episode 264, you discussed how having an unlimited runway would allow you to train for two years without worry. Can you go more into detail about what that training process would look like in practice for each of you and what kinds of skills would be prioritized? So there's if we just weren't doing any production at all or focus on We just say, it. hey, uh, you know, we launched uh, Flop Rocket 2. Obviously, it just crushed it in the market. We've got 13 trillion dollars mm-hmm. uh we have as much money as we could ever possibly need and now we get to really take some time to hone our craft and and take things in whatever new direction we want to we want to do mm-hmm. so what what so what does our next two years look like yeah i would take probably six studio art classes at a time just for the whole two years that were uh, focused on combination of just general drawing and um world building stuff and then animation that's it i would just be just, just be making be, as much art as possible yep those skills just beef it up and get all the feedback from people who know what the fuck they're doing uh so that when i emerged at the end of the two years that it was like what the hell just happened uh sort of a feeling that's what i would mm-hmm. do i would be taking advanced math courses and mm-hmm. learning um 3D development, so either Unreal Engine or or Unity, um, just because I've always done 2D. I I spent eight months doing 3D um, when we worked at a, at another studio. It was fun and interesting, but uh, but the geometry of it is very different, mm-hmm. and and how you have to think about shaders, and because you're not dealing with with just like straight up pixels, you know, uh, you're dealing with uh, meshes and textures on the meshes and. Uh, all that stuff. So it's it's a lot more complicated, I think, to to program in 3D. It's also the case that like there's so many times where I just I run into scenarios where I just don't know the math. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just don't, you know. And uh, I I was pretty decent in math back in high school, but I realized in retrospect that was only the case because the standards were oh so low. They were so <laughs> unbelievably low. Uh, <laughs> Like well, I, I came out of practical side where the, the, the math that we were being taught, uh, it was being, it's being taught arbitrarily, right? When you're in high school, it's just like, here's a bunch of math you're supposed to know. Um, yeah. and, but it's not just, it's arbitrary. It's also that you, you don't see how it would be applied, especially to a thing you don't even know that you want to do for a job yet. Right. So, so then yeah. now here you are 
10 years later, right? Uh, a game programmer. And had you known you're going to be a game programmer, then 10 that years ago, yeah. you could have studied things and then like, mm-hmm. and then seen how they were related to like, to thinking about games and, and like visual spaces and that kind of stuff. But yeah, you just didn't get to. Yeah. So, and so I think the way that I would probably approach it is, is simultaneously with, um, taking, taking courses to actually get, get a better foundation of just knowing what kinds of questions to ask and how to think about these more advanced math uh, concepts. I would, I would, for, for learning the 3d side of things, I would do probably a series of one month game jams for the first six months. Um, and then do a couple of like three month projects and then a couple of six month projects. Um, which would then like stretch out over two years. Cause the idea is like start small, get a, get the feel for how the tools work and then throw that crap away. Yeah, right. Cause, <laughs> then, you built, Cause you built all your infrastructure wrong. So continuing yeah, is everything's nice. wrong. You know, do that six times for your, so, you know, a game a month, first six months, build six pieces of crap, each one slightly less crappy than the last. Mm-hmm. Um, then open up that runway a little bit, give myself more time to make something bigger so I can make bigger mistakes and learn more. Um, you know, and then, and then by the end, by the end of the two years, you know, I should have a pretty strong foundation for what to do and what not to do, and how to develop uh, game systems using, what you know, one of these new tools. So mm-hmm. that'd be my approach. But you guys, uh, I would do a lot. So I, I would have a less sort of directed, like single goal thing going on, um, because I, I love learning. Just period, and wish I got to spend more time doing it. And then as as sort of my in my role as web developer where you just, you just, you're always bouncing lots of technologies and those technologies are constantly mm-hmm. changing. Um, so, and, and also then you're worried about security and, and privacy and visual design. Like there's, there's a, there's so many layers to it in many, many ways, just like in game development um, that there's always so much cool shit going on in web dev and I don't get to participate in almost any of it. So, so like the, uh, the, all the rage right now is this new way of designing. Well, I'm not going to go into details because nobody cares, but designing the, <laughs> an API, the thing that like a browser talks to on the website to get information, right? There's a whole new way of like thinking about this that has been developed uh, really effectively just, just really over the past few years. It's become super popular. Uh, it's called GraphQL. Details don't matter. But I've gotten to like play with it a tiny bit because there was, there's, because, because like everybody's shifting that. Like GitHub has shifted to that. Uh, basically, mm. every new, every new modern thing that comes out. He's already using it. All the Mm -hmm. older ones that are still trying to practice good, do good practices have switched over to it. Right. And so I can see it. I'm like, I know that this thing would be fucking useful. And if I had the time, for example, to like convert rumpus, which is a huge project into now it's a GraphQL API, just like get to do that. If I got to take the time just to convert the whole thing into TypeScript. So it was just more pleasant to work with. Right. Cause that's going to, that would take probably months to like truly do. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of these kinds of things that like I would just love to just like just to throw all of my time into that are not that it would not directly move the studio forward right in our in terms of like us trying to mm-hmm. make make the next game and get it out um, but would improve my skills enormously and also be super fun and give me exposure to all the new cool tech so there's there's kind of that where I would, I would just want to just like play with a whole bunch of stuff that I don't get to normally play with but the other piece is like the part that I feel really deficient in that I truly wish I had more time for that is never a priority is actually web design, like front end mm-hmm. web design, the stuff that you see in the browser when you load up a web page. Uh, I basically, I'm getting away with it. That is my, that is the entirety of my skill set is basically uh, what is the minimum I can learn and practice and do right to, to actually get a website up that just doesn't look like garbage. That is like, that is, that is all I have time for. And and people are doing such cool shit in this space. Like, and uh, any new modern website is like they're doing cool stuff with animation. There are all these new front end things coming out that that make stuff easier and easier and easier and let you do cooler and cooler stuff. And I just don't get to play with it. So, mm-hmm. so I would basically sort of be dividing my time up among just the full stack of web development, but playing with all the new cool toys, and then trying to convert a lot of my existing <clears throat> stuff that I've built for the studio into using that new cool stuff, which is also a never ending game, um, for any technology or any, any, like any domain of software. But, uh, it feels like in particular for web dev, because at least, in, at least in the game space, like you still have unity and unreal and, uh, and game maker, right? Like those are the big three, though people 
forget the game maker exists. It's usually the big two, but either way, those, <laughs> those have been the big ones for what now, 10 years or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nothing yeah. is supplanting them. So the technology is the same. The language under, underneath it is the same. There've been lots of changes in it. Definitely. But you aren't switching to entirely new fucking ways of thinking about the problem every Correct. three years, right? Like you are in web dev. And, uh, and it'd be cool to be able to just to spend time doing that. So that's where I would be. And then the other thing that would be very fun to spend time on, uh, would be truly digging into, to, uh, algorithms and like, like the lower level computer science stuff, uh, in particular for object oriented programming, um, because I'm still a, still a fucking noob at object oriented programming and like how to think about it conceptually. Uh, I can't read those. What are those diagrams called? Those like U U M whatever the fuck those are those those diagrams that show relationships between objects and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to read those. I don't know what those are. <laughs> I don't uh, even know what they're called. Yeah, I don't so. know what they're called. Uh, <laughs> it's similar to do with like the like doing architecture stuff on Ant because I'm I'm using AWS Amazon Web Services to create all our web infrastructure. There are apparently established ways of like drawing out diagrams for how these things work and like. Building building uh, uh, documents that describe the entire setup of your architecture, right, and that actually can be used to recreate your architecture out of nothing and all this kind of stuff. And like, I don't fucking know any of that. <laughs> I don't know any of that at all. This question uh, is really, uh, what are your deficiencies? It's where are your deficiencies <laughs> that you would shore up if you had time, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also more of where do your deficiencies line up with your passions? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I got, I got. How much time do you have for me to list my deficiencies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a uh, longer answer, yeah. I can't speak, we just leave behind, yeah. Yeah, I can't speak any foreign languages. My math skills are weak. I only know a couple of programming languages. I can sort of draw, but not not well, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, list, the list would just go for days of all the things I don't know how to do. But there's another question of, well, what also are you excited about? You know, because yeah. I think if you decided you were going to apply yourself the next two years towards something that you just hate, then you're just not, you're just not going to go gonna anywhere with it. So, all right. Uh, last question comes from Giant Muskrat. Please tell us about your favorite cup. I like to, I like to hope that everyone has one. Mine is glass and has a lot of bumps on the bottom. <laughs> Favorite glass. Well, my f- our favorite cup. My favorite cup recently has been a Nintendo Switch. A little like Nintendo Switch uh, uh, travel mug, travel mug sort thingy. of thing. Yeah, it's, oh, like, yeah. it's like a. It's like in, or no, I guess it's a vacuum on the inside. It's a little metal thing with a with a little plastic lid that seals on top. Um, which is mostly because it's got it's got a nice just of aesthetic feel, right? It's like an but egg. It's got the top. It's like cut an off. egg. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, but also we got it when we went to Nintendo HQ back in the mm-hmm. early level head days, so like whatever, like six months in or some crazy thing. Yep. Um, when we were part of their Nindy showcase, and we got to like we got to go visit Nintendo headquarters, and got to go on a tour, and then had an event where we got to show the game, like all this kind of cool stuff that honestly kind of came to nothing, <laughs> but was a very cool experience, like a experience. super cool experience to to have. You know, growing up playing Nintendo games and then like getting to go to Nintendo and be like, be be given a a, a treatment as if we were important, you know, and then mm-hmm. in that context was a very cool experience. And so then this like, and then we we walked away with some swag, including these little mugs. And so that was oh yeah, that that day was so awesome. Yeah, we we got to meet uh, Reggie, mm-hmm. the the then president. Um, we and he had a Smash Bros. pin on, which yeah, was like awesome. A politician, like, yeah. yeah, president of company comes in with his suit and everything. Very, he's very presidential. And instead of like a you know like American flag pin, he's got like a Smash Bros. pin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that was great. We got the the tour of all of the old uh, hardware. We got to see like mm-hmm. hear stories from the trenches from back when they were like trying to first get established in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, and the guy who was the number two employee. In yeah, who like designed the Game Boy, you know, and shit like that. St- stuff is just so iconic now that uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we had have lunch with uh, Justin Ma from who did FTL, FTL uh, yep. into the breach. Had some really yeah. chats with him. Yeah, so yeah, that was. Because then we have got to follow up with him afterwards too. Like when they when they did their localization patch with uh, with FTL a few months ago, I got to. Then now, like I knew the guy. We can just I can send a note and be like, mm-hmm. "How did this work out for you? Was this a good idea? You know, that kind of stuff." So yeah, yeah really so cool. I I got to uh, I I had to buy a switch because I was like I was I was kind of debating whether to get one, but then once we were in Nintendo HQ, I'm like, I mean, I ha- I 
I have to buy. It. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta do it. I have to get one from the source. It's like eating glacier water, you know, off the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So my uh, my favorite uh, my favorite cup is uh, yeah, it's it's just like a glass mug. It's very it's very simple. It's very straightforward, but it's glass so I can see into it. Because one thing I learned is that if I have a if I have a cup that I can't see into, then I'll only drink half of the liquid, half of the coffee or tea or whatever. Uh, they just forget it's there. Make them more visible, yeah, you know? It's out of my eye line. Yeah, now I can't see. And then I just I – ta- I stop taking sips of it. I have the and same so then, problem but sort of on the other end, which is once I've finished it, I will repeatedly try to right. drink just, from it again. Just that's keep right trying to – And then I'm like, yeah. oh, dang. Yeah, so you know, making the work visible, you got to take a DevOps approach to your cups, mm-hmm. I feel like. It's a big yeah, deal. My, my favorite one was this giant glass stein that I used to have at the office, yep. uh, which at one point I left in the in the uh, I accidentally left downstairs after I had cleaned it, and someone just took it Smacked and was using it, right it up. as if it was a community uh, mug. And I saw them in the hallway like a week in to it. It was gone for like a month. I saw them and I was like. What? And I couldn't even <laughs> you know, I couldn't respond in time. It was just the, the tragedy was stabbing me so hard in the heart. And but so, also like uh it's it's kind of hard to approach that you know yeah, tactfully. Like, hey, pour that out because you That's got my, my mug. mug. Give me my mug back. So I was like, I'll just I'm gonna keep a sharp eye on the dishware. I'm gonna steal yeah, this. Thing it's also back. not their fault because the, the whole system in that kitchen is that there's Random community mugs that could look like anything. It's this just was like pre, this was pre-COVID, of course. Yeah, yeah, pre-COVID. So if you That's, find an unattended yeah. mug, then your best, your reasonable guess is that. No, it's just like when I had yeah. a, a box of cupcakes that were for, for me for my birthday that our mom dropped off, and oh, yeah, then but, I, yeah, I walked away for yeah. thirty seconds and came back and some guys walking off with two of them, just like enjoying the shit out of them. And I was like, <laughs> God, damn this community kitchen. <laughs> this community kitchen is great. There's just cupcakes and mugs <laughs> everywhere. Uh-huh. You can and just take them. Probably the most like college aspect I've had in adult life since college. You know, is is that community kitchen from the old office? Yeah, um, I did where, enjoy it. It was a nice. Yeah, it was super fun. But yeah, but just that idea that like you you actually had to like keep your eye on your your food because someone's gonna take it. Yeah, someone's. I mean, it was it was just <laughs> like it was just like in grad school or in college, like when there is like. Like food is such a weird thing in those contexts where everyone's just like constantly vigilant for yep. anything that looks like free community food. Right? They're just ready for it. Yeah, people's roommates are always stealing food. All the co, you know, from what I hear, coworkers steal food all the time directly from each other's like fridges and stuff mm-hmm. in larger yeah. offices. There's apparently always that person who's just like swiping people's yogurt and eating it, mm-hmm. which is just such a wild thing to do. Yeah, don't be that person. Forbidden fruit tastes sweeter, you know what I mean? That yogurt. You wouldn't buy that yogurt off the shelf in a store, but if it's there, steal it. Yeah, but also like, you know, it makes me think of our conversations about hackers, which is like, hackers are never discreet. They never, they're never like, ooh, I can hack my score. I'm going to hack my score to be very slightly better than the best person. Instead, they're like, I'm going to get myself 30 billion points, Mm -hmm. right? So you have with these people who are always stealing food from from their their coworkers is they're brazen. They mm-hmm. just they're just swiping shit and they also have favorites. They'd be like, ooh, anytime Steve brings his chocolate pudding in, that's my chocolate pudding now, right? <laughs> the problem is that kind of predictable behavior is so easy to thwart with simple laxatives. <laughs> <laughs> Although apparently you can uh go you can you can get into some serious legal trouble for booby trapping your food items. Really? Yeah. Uh, because if, because if, because like, because the, the, the thing that comes in is basically like, you know, that a person, in the same way, you can't booby trap your house, right? So, like, if a burglar comes booby in, they step in a bear trap, right? Then actually you're liable for the fact, like, sure, they're robbing your house, but also you, you maimed them. And so, <laughs> so there's a, there's a, so, legal, you know, so, a little, a little, yeah. There's a little illegal situation there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's actually the same deal for things. I've, I've actually heard stories of people putting like super spicy things in, like so, so spiced that somebody like went to the hospital, you know? Uh, yeah, or or laxatives, so that you know, but 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 these kinds of things are actually treated as basically a form of assault, I think, or a form of battery, because because it's premeditated, uh, and, there, and it's very hard to argue that that was not your intent. If the if the person's like, yeah, I always steal this person's stuff, that's a given, right? And then this time when I stole it, there was something that a human would not want in their body inside of it, right? 
And it's it's just too easy to draw the line and be like, oh yeah, that person laid a laid a trap for you, right? And, uh, <laughs> and you, you can get into some some legal trouble. So yeah, so that's, two, such, two that's such a if you're stealing people's food, a, knock that shit off. If you're trying to booby trap your food because someone's stealing it, please do not. Uh, as much as it would be satisfying, you don't want to go to jail for that. What you, you clearly need is you need a fucking lunchbox with a padlock on it. Yep. You know, Boom. do those do those exist? I, don't know. I guess nobody nobody has to. Yeah, nobody has to worry about that right now, but you know, <laughs> that's true. later, uh, later on, once things sort of stabilize and return to normal, lunch boxes with uh, locks on them is, is going to be the hot new thing. The alternative mm-hmm. is to just start weaning yourself onto spicier and spicier foods, so that, that way you're you actually booby trapping someone. Exactly, because that's actually just how you eat stuff, and nobody wants it. So nice. you can just ruin your food more and more over time so that other people don't want it. You become is a it, venomous caterpillar, basically, right? Is it uh, weaning exactly. if you're increasing? Does weaning go both directions? I don't see why not. Uh, weaning. <laughs> well, you got, well, so you got wax and wane, and then Wean's wean. just a different thing. Wean. But we're also wean. in October. Which, which is Halloween. Which is all about which weaning. Is weaning. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really dumb word the more you say it. <laughs> all right. Well, that's probably a good spot to leave it. Everybody think about this weaning problem and get back to us. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Costa, for putting this uh, podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything. So just go there and click on them. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.